But anyway, uh, this week, I hope you're having a good time as you prepare for uh, Christmas. You know, at the end of, um, I, during this time, I usually get busy, pastors are busy, you know, preparing for uh, Christmas and all, and a lot of family, friend, that kind of activities, uh, a lot of meetings too. So we had, a, I had a meeting this week, a Zoom meeting. Uh, anybody have Zoom meetings? Any other Zoom meeting people? Okay, yeah, not just me. Uh, so the leader at the end of the talk, because it was kind of, running out. It was all business. He's like, oh, let's do something fun. Everyone tell me some f- fun family tradition that you do for, for Christmas. Uh, so everyone went around, uh, shared something. I talked about how um, on our family Christmas morning, my wife Jess, she'll make uh, this uh, baked French toast. It's really good. And of course, lots of bacon to go with it. Of course, nothing celebrates Christmas like a side of bacon, uh, which is wonderful. And then everyone shared a little something or other. One of my friends shared, uh, who was in the group, he shared how he made a cast of his foot and gave it to his sister. And that was his gift. And this started this weird thing. So everyone leaves the room whenever they do Christmas gifts. I don't know what that was about. (laughs) But it was bizarre, a little bit on the bizarre. And we won't get into any of the details there except for that one. But, uh, you know, everyone had their most mostly positive kind of experiences and memories there. Um, But one of the ladies, you know, not everyone has positive experiences around Christmas. One of the ladies, she was from a different country, um, she said that, uh, that this time is hard for her because both of her parents have passed away. And she doesn't have any family in the United States, so she doesn't really have anyone to celebrate with. So for her, Christmas is a, a difficult time. And in fact, on top of that, one of her friends had um, passed away as well. So she was just mourning, and it's very sorrowful. Um, yeah, she's a strong woman of faith. I mean, I have so much respect for this woman. So she was very, very sor- sad, but yet at the same time, you could see kind of a strength in her. And I, I mean, just so much respect for this woman. In fact, she was recently nominated by the city of Los Angeles to get a reward for doing free legal work for the poor in that country. I think it's like the mayor, I mean, the, the city itself of Los Angeles. So this is a major honor. So a woman of God, highly respected, doing some incredible work, but standing strong in the midst of a very difficult situation for her. And then last week, I mentioned to some of you that one of my good friends in Bolivia, uh, his name was Hilton, he had passed away. And that was tough for me having to deal with that news. Uh, and we, I've known this guy for 15 years. Every time I visit, he is one of the kindest souls. Um, his wife, uh, Susie, uh, was uh, dealing with, with the death. And uh, one thing I didn't mention last week was that our missionary there, Kimber, she sent me a video on WhatsApp, and it just sh- it showed Susie just in this place of exuberant worship at his funeral. So she was worshiping before the Lord. It was just so touching. You could see how that she was deeply moved uh, and, you know, obviously very sad, but yet at the same time, she had this, like, sense of strong faith. And it is amazing. The people around her are seeing the impact that her faith is having, not only on just her immediate family, but the neighborhood where she ministers among the poor. It's really incredible work uh, that, that she's doing as well, very inspiring. But these stories, along with people I've been interacting with, remind me that Christmas time isn't necessarily a time of glee, uh, a time of happiness for, for everyone. And maybe you can relate you know, maybe this time of year, for whatever reason, maybe something similar or something different might be a reason why this time of year is difficult for you. And uh, nonetheless, if that's not you or you can't write, you don't know anyone, I think it's really good for us to take some time to remember, to pause and remember that this time of year is, is difficult for many people, like my friend Susie or my friend on the, uh, the missions team there. But during Advent, as we celebrate the third week, we celebrate joy. And as Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I see that in my 
uh, my friend Susie, and I see it in those who have been faithful believers that even in the worst circumstances, there is a sense of joy in the midst of sorrow that we can experience. And this is the good news that we, we celebrate today. Luke 2, in Luke 2, let's, let's pull that up. This is when the, angel, the angels of the Lord came before the, the shepherds and an angel said to them as they were afraid, the angel of the Lord said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And so my hope, my prayer for you, and it has been this week and as we pray, is that you would experience whatever circumstances you're under, that you would experience the joy of the Lord, that the joy of the Lord would be your strength and meet you right where you are. So we're gonna jump in. Let's take some time as we celebrate uh, the good news. We're gonna pray. We're gonna continue our um, sermon series called The Mystery of Christmas. And I'd like to look at an important story in the book of Revelation that highlights the Christmas story from the past, present, and future uh, to understand the mystery of Christmas and what this joy is all about. And the title of uh, today's message is called The Lamb, the Dragon, and the Woman. An interesting picture. So uh, we'll jump into that in a moment, but let's take a moment to pray. All right, Lord, well, uh, some of us come here heavy-hearted. Other of us uh, may be f- full of happiness and joy as to what you're doing in our lives. Wherever we are, Lord, we're here to meet with you. We're here to learn from you, to submit ourselves to your, to your good grace. Um, and today we pray for those who are... Uh, who are hurting and suffering. Pray specifically for our, our friend Bing and Mike, who are both in the hospital at this time, suffering some physical things. We pray that your healing would, would be accelerated in both of their lives, in Mike's leg and his foot, and Bing's heart and his whole body for restoration from the surgery. We pray for um, Judah Quay and the orphanage there, the folks like Carolina, who's blind and uh, looking for hope. Uh, and being cared for in, in the midst of, of her blindness, and Francis, who was paralyzed without speech, Arnold, who uh, all, had also lost his sight. God, these precious children we bring before you and pray that you would pour out your abundance upon them. And Lord, as we speak and look at the good news today, I pray that you would help us understand what this good news of Christmas joy is on a deeper level to help us see things differently from the way that you see them. So give us your eyes, open the eyes of our hearts to see you more fully and who you are. And it's in your name we pray this, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so the question we want to ask is we want to look at this. What is this really, firstly, what is this good news and what are the implications? So how do we understand on a, from a heavenly perspective what the good news is? And in Revelation, we see, okay, so we're, like I said, we're marching through a series about the book of Revelation. So if you didn't uh, hear the first few books, uh, the quick update is that uh, in heaven there's these seals that are being opened and these calamities come upon humanity uh, as the seals are opened and only Jesus can open the seals. Uh, But we get another glimpse into heaven as we move to Revelation chapter 7. So today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 7 briefly and then we're going to focus in on Revelation chapter 12 if you want to look in your Bibles. So in Revelation 7 it says says this, uh, starting in verse 9. After this I looked... And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, and together, let's say this part, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Just an incredible picture 
of worship. There's good news, the gospel of the kingdom is that there is this, this, this God, the king uh, who became flesh, who became the sacrificial lamb, who came and gave himself for, uh, for the life of all of the world so that we could then be restored into a relationship with him. And he is this mysterious figure. I don't know if we have that. Is there an image that we have to pull up there? It's, the, it's kind of a bizarre image. So it's sort of an interesting picture and it's and symbolic, okay? It's, it's symbolism, all right? So this is a picture and it's like, whoa, what is that? What is going on? But in Revelation 5, we get this picture of this lamb who was slain with seven eyes and seven horns and that represents power and all-seeing and all-powerfulness. That's uh, what it represents so that people can be freed and made right with God, the sacrifice, uh, by an all-powerful God who is a king, and he is a lamb, and yet at the same time, he is a shepherd. So there's this interesting imagery, very bizarre imagery, as you might see, that we see throughout the scriptures. And this is, this is the center of the book of Revelation, focuses on this person, Jesus, this character. So that's the first, we're going to look at these three characters today. The lamb, the woman, and the dragon. So character number one that we focused on, I won't go too much more into that because we, we've discussed how the book of Revelation is a revelation of who Jesus is. Okay, Revelation 7, it says this about the Lamb. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of water and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. And so this is the good news of great joy that we celebrate is that there is this lamb, Jesus himself, who sits on the throne ruling and his kingdom has broken through because of his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, the kingdom of God, that heaven began to leak its way and break forward into the brokenness of the world, into a place of sorrow and, and death, life and joy has begun to break through because of Jesus Christ and what he has done. And one day, the promise is that for those who are apart from him, or that who, who couldn't get to God themselves by their own works could be saved by the, the work that Jesus did on the cross. And that every tear, every tear, every sorrow that you have will be wiped away by Jesus. And in the meantime, while those sorrows and we walk through sorrow, Jesus promises us one of the most precious gifts that we can have is very presence. And he walks with us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus gives us in times of death, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the shepherd is with us, and he is with us through the power of the Spirit to, to help us face the inevitable sorrow that we all will see at least one, some point in our life. And this is good news worth sharing. So how do we share the question? So that's the good news. It's the, the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God, which is for all of humanity, is the good news which expresses great joy. And it is really good news, not just for eternity, but it is good news when you face death when you face a situation where you are physically suffering or where one of your family members is suffering, there is a real sense of the tangible presence of God with us that helps us, walks with us through those difficult times. And perhaps that's you today. And God would want you to know that there, you have a good shepherd who makes himself available to you. And you, if you would just turn to him, to Jesus, have mercy on me. He is there for you right now. And that's the invitation. Perhaps later uh, today as we finish up, you can receive that invitation to new life and to have the presence of God in a place where you might be sorrowful and have a hard time breaking that cycle of sorrow in your own life. Okay, so now, how do we, the question though, I want to focus on more so, that is the good news. How do we actually share the good news? Or how does that, how do, what are the implications of this good news for us today? And to that, we turn to Revelation 12, 
which tells a story uh, of, of God's work among humanity that um, is actually a glimpse of Christmas past, present, and future, and actually the much broader implications of what Christmas is. In fact, it's not just about Christmas, but it is, are the implications of what Christmas is. As we look at Revelation 12, there's a really interesting um, picture. Before we do that, I don't know if we have those images. Do you have that, those pictures? So, the, so here's, I want to talk about something what I would call the prophetic perspective. The reason I have a mountain range up here is because I want to help you understand how to read prophecy. Okay, so this starts off in Old, Old Testament prophecy. When you look at prophetic literature, there's a lot going on here, okay? There's a lot of symbolism, but when you're looking into the future from a singular point of view, and you don't have God's perspective, you kind of look at everything, and you see it's like a mountain range that you see from the front, and there's a layering. So there's multiple layers, but when you look at it from one point in time, the past, and look into the future, you can't really see completely what what is separated uh, from one event to another. However, if you look at it from God's perspective, turn it to the side. So let's look at that next image. Uh, God can see it from the side. So he can see the space between the mountains, the details and contours. So when you actually look at it from the side view, you're looking at different points upon the, uh, say, the, uh, the historical narrative that God is writing throughout the history of his people and for the world. And so when we look at a passage like this, some people say, well, this, this particular symbol means just this, but that's not, in fact, how prophetic literature and symbolism often works. It's that there's multiple meanings hidden within throughout time that God has, is bringing, and he brings progressive revelation as you move through time and to his people. And this is what we see in scripture itself, is that Jesus is revealed more and more uh, at, throughout scripture, and again, this is what happens here. So let's take a look. So keep that in mind. Now let's read it together. We're going to look through some of these verses, which are just fascinating to me. Uh, this is one of my favorite parts of um, Scripture to read. Revelation 12, let's start verse 1. We'll go to verses uh, 1 to 6. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, on, with uh, the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. It swept, its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Verse 5. Then she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. All right, let's talk about this woman. Okay, maybe there's a, I think there's an image that we have here. Okay, so there's this woman, and there's a dragon. We'll get to the dragon in a second. Um, so this, dry, it, this, or this image or this, this verse says here in verse 1 that it's not just a woman. It, it calls, so remember, symbolism. And it explicitly says in verse 1 that this is a sign. So this woman is primarily a sign of something much bigger than herself. She's symbolic here. If you get the imagery, it's reminiscent of Genesis 37. Remember where Joseph, for those of you who understand Old Testament, Joseph had a dream in which the stars and the moon and the sun and it represented his family. 
And so this imagery is using the 12 in particular, meaning the 12 tribes of Israel, represents, this woman represents first and foremost Israel, God's, God's people. In fact, not just God's people in the Old Testament, the Jewish, the Israelites, the Jewish people, but all of God's people who are, are believers, who are followers of Jesus. So we kind of see as we look at the big picture, the entirety of God's people being represented by this woman. And uh, the birth, the baby that you may guess that, that she's about to give birth to, this is an explicit reference to Psalm 2.9, in which it talks about this one who will rule with an iron scepter, and that's Jesus. So the baby is Jesus herself. So wouldn't you say, well, what didn't Mary give birth to? Yes. So in one sense, Mary's like a very small slice of what this woman represents, is the one who gives birth to the Messiah. But it is Israel who gave birth to, to the Messiah and then given to the world as a result. So in, in that sense, there's these multiple layers. And if you think about even the symbolism of Mary herself, is that just as Mary was pregnant and gave birth to the Messiah, so God's people God created his people to be pregnant with the things of the kingdom and to give birth to kingdom life to the people in the world around us. And this is part of what the imagery we see in this picture. And this entire story goes back, you could even take it back that this woman could be represented by Eve herself. And it said, remember when Adam and Eve sinned, God prophesied over Eve and says, your heel will strike the head of the serpent. And so in some ways, this is also symbolic of Eve herself at the beginning, what God was prophesying. Back in Genesis, when original sin, when sin entered the world, he was looking ahead to this moment, which when Jesus would come and be the revelation and God's plan for redemption of humanity and the coming of his kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom itself, which is interesting. So that brings us to this snake or this dragon figure. So we have the lamb, we have a woman. Now we look briefly at this dragon. So this is a powerful figure that we see often throughout scripture in, in books like Daniel and Ezekiel. So this is not the first time the dragon appears. It rears its ugly heads uh, in scripture. In fact, this is a repeated theme. Even in the Genesis narrative, you see the snake uh, having a very similar kind of um, characteristic or uh, way of relating to humanity. And uh, this passage describes more about this evil dragon who led a rebellion in heaven, a wage war against God and his people. So let's take a look. Revelation 12, 7. Then a war broke out in heaven. Okay, so this is kind of all jumbled, like all the orders. So it's not necessarily chronological order. It's just a picture of, of heavenly realities here. Michael and his angels fought uh, against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. And so we learn a few important things about the devil in this passage. Firstly, the devil actively fights against God's people and has done so from the very beginning. When humanity came, the devil didn't waste any time to tempt and pull humanity away from him by tempting them to sin, which is what they did. Now, the devil works through deception. It's very clear 
one of the devil's primary weapons is to deceive, to get people to think differently about themselves and about God. In the original temptation of Adam and Eve, the way that he tempted Jesus, the way he continues to work in the world today, he works through lies and deception, and the devil is very happy to make people believe that he doesn't exist or that spiritual warfare doesn't exist, when in fact, those are the primary dynamics that are at work in each of our lives. We are just largely unaware of it, that we are in the middle of a war, whether we like it or not, you are in the middle of a war which started in heaven and is continuing to unfold in this very present time and will continue to do so until the second coming of Jesus, until the advent of Jesus, when he brings restoration to all things. And that is the gospel of the kingdom, that not only has Jesus come to save souls, he has come to redeem the earth itself and bring everything that has been made wrong and everything that causes tears and pain and tyranny into submission to him. And he will make things right on that, on that one day. We also learn here, not only is he the deceiver, but the devil is very clearly, his main is that of the accuser. In the scriptures, I think we're still in here. Uh, when you do a little digging in the scriptures, you see that Satan's role, he was originally part of um, what, would, what was what's called the divine council. He stood in the presence of God and actually you see in the book of Job that he still can go to heaven, even as, as the accuser. He was given a role to accuse people before God as, you, as a prosecutor would in the heavenly court. So he has this role. But now the whole script has been switched on him because of what Jesus did he paid the penalty, right? The penalty that we all deserve for our sin. Jesus took that penalty on himself, uh, the punishment that we all deserve. So therefore, therefore, rendering Satan's role as the accuser in heaven null and void. However, he still likes to do it. And so in this very nature, God will, uh, God, or the, Satan stands before God and continues to accuse us before him. And he accuses us directly to ourselves. And so if you ever are accused, whether it's internal or external, if you're feeling accusation from the outside in its present context, a lot of accusation came from the government. The government persecuted Christians. A lot of the accusation came from their own, their own people, their brothers and sisters. They were accused by one another of not being true believers. The accusations can come in the form of thoughts. Devil likes to accuse and bring accusing thoughts. If you're experiencing uh, accusation to any, any degree, you can be assured that the devil really likes what's going on. And he is probably part of that. So those accusational thoughts, those thoughts of condemnation are, are really strong signs that there is a demonic or devil-like influence that is happening. And so these are the ways that God works. He works through lies and he works through deception. So if you are experiencing any of that, confusion about what's true, if you're experiencing accusation in your heart uh, toward yourself or toward other people, that's a sign that the devil is at work. Spiritual warfare often takes place in the form of accusation. However, those who stand underneath the authority of Jesus, who's the, who stand under the blood of this lamb who was slain, are no longer guilty. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so they stand free, free before God, and we can bank on that, take it to the bank that we have, our debts have been cleared. And it is not because of our own good works, but because of the work that Jesus has done. 
Okay, so there's the picture. Now let's finish off with this part in verse, um, verse 11. So it, he, he keeps going. Now this is where we get to the part about the good news and our role. Verse 11, speaking of the, the saints, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and, okay, key phrase here, by the word of their testimony. They didn't love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. So the heavens are glad, and the devil is mad. He is upset, and he is going to do everything he can to bring destruction and reap, wreak havoc among God's people. One of the best illustrations for understanding this idea of the kingdom and what the devil is doing now is we see that the devil, his power is broken by the blood of Jesus. What Jesus did on the cross is he set humanity free and he broke the power of the devil. However, the war is not over yet. And many of you who are familiar with kingdom theology may have heard the illustration of, uh, in history. So if you remember, if you're familiar with World War II, how it happened, the, the Allied troops marched into Normandy and, and broke the German resistance and the Nazis uh, on, on D-Day. And once they had broken through the lines, the, the war was basically all but over at that point. The Allied forces came and advanced and defeated uh, the Nazis once and for all, and they, they stood defeated. And it was only inevitable once they broke through the line in Normandy. And that's like what happens at the cross, that Jesus broke the power of Satan. However, the war wasn't fully won yet until V-Day, until victory, when the victory was declared by the Allied forces when they were completely. One fact of history is shown is that most of the deaths that happened in World War II happened between D-Day and happened between V-Day. It's a mopping up, it's a cleaning, and they got desperate. And what's happening now is there are lots of casualties that are happening in the time between D-Day, when Jesus came the first time, his, first, his advent to humanity, and his second coming, when he'll make all things right, there's a lot of work and a lot of warfare that's happening, and the devil's doing everything. He is so mad, he's going to do everything he can to destroy people, particularly the children of God. He is waiting to devour them, to eat them up, to destroy them. This is the pattern that we see and very, make very clearly in the scripture. And so the rest of, you can read it, uh, you can go through the entire chapter, it's really interesting, but it describes how the offspring of this woman are part of this epic story, and how that war that started in heaven trickled down into the earth and continues on today. And he's doing everything to wipe us out, but let's go back and look at verse 11, let's look at verse 12, 11, it says this, when it comes to our, our side of things, they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and, read that with me, the word of their testimony. That's interesting. The blood of the Lamb, and there's something that he puts with the blood of being so powerful as the blood of the Lamb, and that's the word of their testimony. The primary weapon that we have to defeat the enemy is the word of our testimony. Consider that for a moment. The power as we look from a heavenly perspective, the power that is on the word of our testimony. This is the good news 
of great joy that is for all the people that the angels spoke about at the birth of Christ. Now, you might say, well, what is testimony? Well, it's the Greek word martyria. It's the word you get martyr from. It's the same word. It's martyr, like a martyr, meaning witness, or it's the content of what something somebody says about what they've seen, heard, or witnessed. It, is, it can be used as evidence in a court of law in order to give an account for something that happens. It's the story, essentially, it's, the, it's your God story, the story of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And every one of us has a story of what God has done for us and how that's made manifest and made real in each of our lives. This is the good news of great joy that we all, at least those of us who profess faith in Jesus, have before him. And so, interestingly enough, we look at it, we defeat the devil by telling the story of what Jesus has done for us. We're not the hero of our story. Jesus is. And we make Jesus the hero of our story. It somehow defeats the enemy. There's, there is real spiritual power in the telling of our story. Now, how that happens is a big mystery to me, but Jesus says in the book of Revelation and the scriptures that show that this is actually how it works. The power of our testimony defeats, as the primary weapon, our enemy and brings victory. And so we defeat the devil and bring joy to the world by telling our story, by telling our testimony, God's plan of redemption. And listen, and you can't tell something without great joy unless you've really experienced it for yourself. So if you're not sharing your faith or you're not sharing the good news or you don't have a word of testimony that's coming out of you, it's maybe because you have yet to taste and experience the true joy of the gospel of the kingdom of God for yourself. You see, this gospel is not just the gospel of salvation. It's not that you just get saved and one day to go to heaven. The gospel of salvation that you are saved is, is one important part, but it's just one part of this larger gospel. The gospel that Jesus preached is the gospel of the kingdom. And he said this explicitly. He talked about this gospel of the kingdom, meaning the rule and reign of God breaking into humanity to overcome and defeat the devil. And in fact, 1 John 3, 8, you know, it says the reason, the one reason at least why Jesus came, it was to defeat the devil. That's why Jesus came. That is the gospel of the kingdom. And we have to, if we're going to tell the story, if we're going to understand the story, communicate it, the implications for our own life and the lives of others, we have to understand that this, the lamb is important, the woman is important, but understanding that there's a dragon in the story coming to seek, to kill, seek, kill, destroy, and, and disrupt everything that God wants to do in our lives. So the gospel of the kingdom is not just about salvation. It's about the redemption of our physical bodies. It's about the redemption of our relationships, the redemption of our finances, the redemption of the earth itself, the redemption of the way that we think. It's about bringing justice to the poor. It's about declaring freedom for the, for the oppressed. This is the gospel of the kingdom, which is so much bigger than often we make it out to be. So practically speaking, when we talk about understanding the gospel, what we need to do is understand the story, number one, first of all. But we need to understand the story is an essential part of our testimony. That's what our testimony is. And when we want to share our story, there, we need to create a context in our lives where storytelling is an aspect of communicating what God has done for each of us. If you want to know how to get started, 
Start by telling your story. Start by understanding, thinking about your story. One practical suggestion, something that was helpful to me, is understand your testimony in 200 words or less. Write it, just fit, write it out, uh, your own story of redemption, what God, Jesus has done for you in 200 words for, or less. And if you understand it in the big picture of the gospel of the kingdom, you can, any way that God has blessed you is included in good news. Any way that Jesus has been good for you, any pieces of those, is part of what the gospel is. There's a complete picture. And we have, that often happens in relationship. And when we explain the gospel to people, we understand, we understand the gospel of the kingdom is much larger than just, just a series of you know, four simple spiritual laws or whatever it's been, you know, evangelism, explosion. There's all these different methods and models we could use. But the gospel of the kingdom is so much bigger. And in the context of relationship, where stories are told best, when we have relationships with people, we don't have to tell them the whole story all at once. You can give people piece by piece as you tell the story. Because stories, the, the comprehensive big story is much larger than any of us can ever tell. Even if you were to tell it so well, if you had five minutes to tell your testimony or the gospel, there's a whole lot you're going to miss out on. And so just share the piece of the story that God, the Holy Spirit, puts on your heart. You know, one of the ways I do that at the gym is that I just get these little 20-second we stand in a circle, get a 20-second, and I'll just give them a, a little piece of Jesus, whatever it was. And it's usually connected to something that happened on the weekend. You know, maybe it's a, um, someone who got prayer at the prayer and love outreach, who was touched by God. Or maybe it was an experience I had at, at, in Columbia where I was, we saw someone's back who was healed instantaneously. Or maybe it's just someone who offered an encouraging word. Or it could be, Rich, what does Advent mean? And I explain about Jesus coming, the arrival of Jesus and the importance of that in the story of Christmas. But we each have these stories to tell and they're made to be told and God has empowered us to overcome the devil simply by telling our story of what God has done for us. You know, it's exciting. This week, my son Isaac, he's, he's in sixth grade. He, uh, he's been doing this uh, in his class. He, he has these Bible studies at lunch and they, they, he's getting the kids, he's just like, hey, we're going to read the Bible today. And they're like, okay. And he just reads them the Bible. But one time, in math class, in math of all places, math class, I mean, I was a math teacher, and it is not that exciting. It is not really that. But he, he just was talking to his one friend. He's like, man, bro, God loves you so much. And whatever happened in the moment, and there's a context, you know what I mean? It was, he was at lunch, he's a friend, so it's not just like the first time he talked to him. But for whatever reason, that moment, the Holy Spirit hit him in math class. And he started weeping. This kid, this sixth grade kid in math class. And, 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 and he just pressed into that and said, you know, God's love for you is deeper than you would ever imagine, than you ever think. And it just struck him to the heart. And he told me that story. I was like, wow, that's incredible. See, the Holy Spirit put power on what my son, he was at work in that kid. And just by simply saying the real, the truth, the gospel, whatever slice of it that you understand, God will take and multiply. And often it does feel like that. Like we just have these little loaves and fishes, right? We don't really have much to offer. But if you offer to God what he asks of you, he will take it and then multiply supernaturally. And this is kind of the idea of what we do when we're talking, we have this training today, this power evangelism training. The heart of, of what we're going to be talking about is simply sensing what God is doing in our life and what God is doing in someone's life and offering something a little 
so that someone else can see more of who God is. And we'll, we can tell you more about what the, the idea behind power evangelism today, but you have to come to that training after that, and there is pizza if you'd like for that. But one final invitation in terms of what we're doing and what I'm going to next week when people come for, when we come to worship together on Christmas Eve, is I'm going to invite people to join us for uh, a course that we have called Alpha. Alpha is essentially a context for storytelling. There's a video that tells a slice of the gospel story and then people sit around eating together and they tell their own stories. And at some point there's a retreat where the Holy Spirit shows up and God does incredible things. This is what, this is what Alpha is. And so that's going to be coming and it's going to start um, in, in the beginning of February. But I want to get that on your radar. But for now, I'd like to turn to prayer as we finish up and ask God to, to continue to speak to us as we, we take communion together. So let's take a moment and pause and allow the Lord to reveal to you and I want to ask, I want you to just encourage you to spend this time, just a moment of silence. Something that, is, that brings you joy in your life, that is an expression of the gospel of the kingdom. Something worth sharing. The Holy Spirit, come. Bring revelation. Give us a picture right now of an area of our life but the good news of great joy has taken root.